Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. on the uh, Washed Up People podcast is uh, Blair Sheehan from the band Knapsack and Jealous Sound. Uh, Jealous Sound of a new album, A Gentle Reminder, coming out January 31st, and uh, you should order it. Um, joining me in place of Ray Harkins as well, I have a very, very capable replacement, Mr. Jonah Bayer, um, a writer for myriad of publications that you've read, um, and is also a Jealous Sound super fan. So it was pertinent that he came on. <laughs> yeah, this is all true. <laughs> so, uh, well, Blair, thanks so much for being on. I just wanted to kind of chat. Um, you know, how did you get into music? What were, was there an older sibling? What were some of the first bands uh, you kind of got into? Oh, this is fun stuff. I never get to talk about stuff like this. <laughs> um, let me see how, you know, let me, let me tell you. Okay, so um, let me think about this for a second. Well, I grew up in a small town um, called Redding, California, which is like, you know, maybe at that time was maybe like 40, 50,000 people, so not very big. About like three hours north of San Francisco going towards um, Oregon, okay? Mm-hmm. So probably in about like, um, you know, as a regular kid, just whatever, but around like 19, let me think, oh, the... When I was about 12 years old, like 85-ish, 1985-ish, I guess. Um, like a new wave came to town, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it would be like, all of a sudden, you know, there was this little club downtown called the Casbah. There's another one called the Pound, which were like these 80s dance clubs. And, you know, there were kids that were going to San Francisco and bringing back music and stuff like that. And so... You know, then all of a sudden it'd be like, oh, everyone started getting into the, you know, the Smiths and the Cure and like, you know, or even like, you know, the, the radio new wave at the time, like, you know, Thompson Twins and Depeche Mode and everything like that. So, but it was really, uh, it was really like uh, electric time. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you had, where did you guys grow up? Small towns, big towns? I was in a very, very small town in Vermont and we so I had, we pretty much had hardcore bands and punk mm-hmm. bands come through. I had, I didn't see a giant band and I called giant being like bad religion until I went to college. Okay. Yeah, so. Well, keep in, so keep in mind, I mean, I'm probably a little bit older than you guys. Um, you know, I'm 39, so this is like 85. So this is like the first run of any of this stuff and it's the first time anybody's seen any stuff, anything like this. Do you know what I mean? It was like, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like a rednecky kind of town. Um, so it was just like really like kind of, cr- and then skateboarding came and all this stuff. So this is the first run of all this kind of stuff that I'm like being exposed to. And I'd gone to like a private Christian school up until um, I was in eighth grade. So that summer and that 
that like end of my eighth grade year, like, you know, uh, everyone started, you know, there were not everybody, but it was a small minority of kids around school and different stuff that started getting a new wave and stuff like that. And I was one of them. And my older sisters started hanging out with, um, I had two older sisters and I can remember my sister's birthday was on like Halloween. She had this, she had a party and this is the first time that all these kids came to our house, like they're from her high school and you know, everyone's wearing like trench coats and, you know, has white makeup on and like, you know, Bauhaus and like, you know, Susie and the Banshees and like, you know, and then there's some mixed bag punk rockers too and stuff. So long story short, that was like when I started getting into like new wave and stuff like that. But then I went to public high school that ninth grade and that year was sort of the year that punk broke in, in Reading. So, you know, there's a crew of like punk rock kids and skateboards and there's like a ramp near school and stuff like that. So I got into skateboarding and punk rock that summer of my ninth grade year. So that um, is a perfect time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you're breaking away from your parents, and you're like, you want to do something. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, that's it's all that square stuff that your folks and you were doing as kids. You want to do something completely different, you know? And did you find so, out about we, bands from the shows, and you know, picking you know, up a seven have, inch, we, or know, was it the like, was there a record really store? Have, you know. There was two bands, there was, that summer, basically, like, that ninth grade year, there were, like, two bands in Reading where I grew up. One was called Spew, and the other was called Snot Labeled, and they were, like, really punk bands, you know? And this would probably be, like, 1987, I guess, something like that, 86, 87. And um, so we'd have, they'd have shows, like, out at the park, but what would happen is, because we were near to San Francisco-ish kind of thing, we would have, um, you know, there'd be an occasional show where, like, or nearby or something like that, to my recollection, we would get, like, an Operation IV that would come through or a Crimp Shrine or the Bay Area Gilman Street stuff of that time would come through. And a lot of people in my town had moved from somewhere near there or something. So they had friendships with some of those people. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, Totally. So, so we would get we would get that influence come through, and then every now and again, someone. As I got a little bit older, then we'd head down to like Berkeley and San Francisco and go to shows and stuff like that. So, long story short, I know I'm kind of going off, like going crazy here. It was like new wave, then it was regular punk rock, and then I got uh, I became like the only straight edge kid in town. Nice. So, <laughs> both Jonah and I have instant messenger names with X's around it, so where we understand completely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was in. They, so I, I liked it. They, like punk rock was great and skateboarding, but it was like, you know, I started getting like I get like the Minor Threat or the Seven Seconds records and stuff like that. And then I remember I got a Uniform Choice record. And I was like, oh wow, you know, and it was just like, it just kind of and I started mail ordering for more of that stuff. And then I just got I just couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and heard. And like totally felt like electric to me, so I turned into straight edge kid. That's awesome. And then I became, and I became, and then I got my license, and so then I would drive and hang out. And um, my really good friend, like I ended up becoming really good friends. Um, I would go and hang out, and so there was a couple of uh, local bands in like Sacramento and San Francisco. So when I was like sixteen, I became really good friends with. Um, Sean, the the guitar player from Far. Nice. So I would go, to, I would go and stay at his house, like you know, for the full weekend. And him, Sean, and my other really good friend Brent, who I'm still great friends with to this day. He was the drummer 
and they were in this band uh, called Inner Strength that was uh, Victory Records number one. Oh wow! Was, was Tony Brummel in that band, or he was in another one of those early bands? Yeah, Tony Brummel. And I remember at that time he wasn't called Tony Brummel. He was called. They called him Tony the Strong because he went as a band called Only the Strong. Yes, that's right. But yeah, this was probably this is eighty seven, eighty eight. It's eighty eight, probably like eighty eight, like the youth crew summer of eighty eight. So my buddy Brent was um, the drummer at Inner Strength. Sean, who later played guitar and far, um, and then they were in a band called Inner Strength. So I would just go down and stay at those guys. They lived about two hours away, so I'd just go and just stay there. And we'd go to hardcore shows and stuff like that and go, you know, Youth of the Day and Gorilla Biscuits and stuff like that. And then we were friends with um, two other bands, a band called Breakaway and Unit Pride, which were straight-edge bands down in, in San Francisco. So it was super fun, you know. And then I went to college. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know. And then I got into indie rock. And then I started playing... I wanted, you know, I wanted to play indie rock, but I wanted a little bit more teeth like the, the hardcore that I'd grown up with. So that's the story. At, at what point did you sort of start actually writing your own songs? Hmm. Well, you know, probably, how old was I? 17, 19, probably around 19 or 20, 19. Interesting, because I, I would, the, it's, that's like a, like I guess that was right in college then when you started getting so even when you were into hardcore you weren't writing your own songs you were just kind of going to the shows being in the scene and stuff correct yeah I mean we, there was always you know there was you know we had start we were supposed to be in bands and like put together like hardcore bands and stuff like that but they never really got off the ground you know so we were going to do this or do that it just never really happened were you and playing then, guitar at the time yeah I picked up guitar and uh, I hadn't even thought of singing or doing anything at that point I was just like you know I was just supposed to be around it and, you know, I don't know, but not yet. And then, and I then mean, me and, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, just from that, it, it's just funny the similarities of, Joan, I don't know if you concur, but like so many people that were sort of this late 90s thing, I mean, it it's just funny how many bands came out of going to a hardcore scene um, <laughs> and, you know, coming from Youth of Today or coming from like the Victory kind of bands and then playing in a band like knapsack or uh. you know i mean to my to, i mean to my mind obviously it's the way that i grew up but it just seems like the natural way to do things in so many ways because it's like yeah it's like you like you see it you see that they can do it you you know the band's not that separated from you um you kind of just like soak it in it's exciting it's accessible um you know and i used to be pen pals with people you know stuff like that so it was really like it's an accommodating thing. It's not like uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't really inclusive or exclusive. You know, just sort of everyone could kind of show up and be a part of it. So, mm-hmm. and it's like to me, in my mind, like when I look at other bands or I think about that kind of thing, I always find that I, I feel. I mean, maybe it's because that's the way I came up, but I feel like they're more legitimate to me because they like they went up through or came up through the ranks rather than just kind of like appeared. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. they had to learn or, you know, they had to figure it all out, you know, and sweat it out and do all the, you know, the dirty work and just kind of like, uh, I mean, it's, and it's fun, but it's like, there's, a, there's sort of a, an honesty or legitimacy to that, especially uh, of that time period in my mind, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Everyone should have to wear Jinkos at one point in their life, I yes. feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think you need to have a star tattoo, Jinkos, and an XL t-shirt. 
exactly. Bingo. <laughs> uh, I I mean, this kind of leans into it, and I always like to ask this kind of early on. But like, when did you first heard the word? When did you first hear the word emo? Oh, man, I don't even. I'm trying to think. Like, not not many <laughs> people remember. It, I've asked this a few times, and most people are like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know that it was like. You know, it may have just, like, kind of, like, I think it just kind of creeped up in there, I guess. I don't even know. It was, like, I mean, to be honest with you, I remember, like, I was sort of, like, in some ways, I was just, like, we had, like, Knapsack had been on, like, Alias Records, and we were just kind of, like, like, what's this band about? You know, they're not, like, really super indie rock, but they're not, like, punk rock or whatever, so it's, like, what are, you know, we kind of felt like you got lost in the shuffle. But as soon as that kind of got attached to it, it's, like, people like oh what is this let me figure let me check this out you know Mm -hmm. so um i was always grateful for it i guess if that makes sense you know what i mean i didn't really have any issue with it or think i'm not so precious about my music that uh you can call i don't care but the thing i kind (laughs) of i i was i mean interesting is i mean walter um from you know grill biscuits turned into Mm -hmm. quicksand turned into rival schools and i feel like if you're into a hardcore and you do knapsack and jaw sound, it's it makes sense. And so I mean, I yeah. guess with with knapsack, I mean, when you guys were touring, I mean, it was a lot of indie bands. I mean, the Driver like Jehu, Jawbox, At the Drive-In. Um, yeah, I mean, we were we were certainly you know, uh, I mean, we were happy to be you know, we were just happy to be out there and to screw around. But then it would be like, you know, at the time, especially like, I mean, everyone was just out there just trying to do something, and I think everyone was just stoked to be out in a van and like you know wheels rolling and, and doing something um but yeah i don't know you know it, it it's only you know so much so much meaning and so much like you know stuff gets retroactively attached to stuff to like make it all make sense and like put a bow on everything but it wasn't really that clear at the time yeah and just i mean some of those like you know the if it was the first record um, for knapsack and like those kind of years, ninety five, ninety six, nice. I mean, what was what were some of the feelings out on the road? I mean, did you feel something was happening? Did you feel like wow, no. we're doing something right, or people are people are paying attention? No, nobody. It felt like nobody was paying attention. You know, it was like um, for the longest time, it felt like nobody was paying attention, and uh, and really, you know, we weren't really, you know, as a band. I mean, we were really scrappy, and like we didn't really have our our, our, our stuff together to sort of warrant a ton of attention, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. we, we put records together, but we weren't really, like, weren't really serious about, I mean, we were serious about doing stuff, but we weren't really serious about, like, oh, wow, this, you know, this stupid thing keeps happening over and over and over and over again. Maybe we should fix it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, we weren't really, pr- like, like to, to do whatever you would need to do to, uh, you know, go reach broader amount of people. We didn't really know what we were doing nor did it seem, did we put in the effort to try and figure that out, I guess, you know? But you were, there, we, you were making sorry. friends with bands. I mean, you were... Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, nobody was, nobody was like, super big in the, at that time. And keep in mind, like, the world now, like, the amount of people available that you could actually access to like your band is so much greater now than it was then. It's ridiculous, you know? Like, to me, at that time, you know, I would go see you know, a jawbreaker, a Sam I am or seaweed or, you know, even like pavement or super chunk, you know, those shows were only, you know, somewhere between 300 and like 600 people for any of those bands. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
that's on the small scale nowadays. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's like, those were the big bands, you know, doing what we did in some, you know, in, you know, some color of the rainbow, of you know, indie emo rock or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it wasn't that big and you couldn't get that big, you know, until, you know, and then you kind of had that weird break with Green Day or Nirvana and all that stuff. But that was still like a different beast altogether, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting, the... Uh... You know, you're you're totally right. I mean, when I would see, you know, Promise Ring or Hot Water Music, it was at, you know, a venue that was 600 to 700. And when it was sold out, you thought, I mean, I thought they were the biggest things in the world just because I was oh, yeah, so they're, invested they're, in it. But it was like huge to think that, think of them now. What if that happened now? Like, would that be 3,000 cap rooms or whatever it is based on how many yeah, people I mean, are paying that attention? Was like, and six or 700 people felt like the, you know, it felt like Madison Square Garden. You yeah. know what I mean? Totally. It felt like the biggest. It felt like the biggest event you'd ever been to. Like, oh my god, this is amazing and like totally crazy. And there's so many people. And it's like this band is so popular. And you know, oh my god, you know, it's like so uh, differently. The you know the, the scale of everything is much larger now than it was then. I think. Yeah. Um, and then I guess I mean just from is there any other stuff from Knapsack that you kind of remember that sticks with you um, before it kind of turned into the, the Jealous sound? Was it just you kind of had the, the the records and you're like this is I want to do something else or different different uh, mode? You know you know what had happened. Long story short, like what had happened was I had um, I decided to move to LA at that like towards the end of it, like right as the last record was finished, I moved to LA. And Colby, our drummer, who I'd gone to high school with, he lived in San Francisco, and he'd gotten a good job, like with uh, eMusic at the time, and uh, like mar- doing marketing. Mm-hmm. So he was really stuck on that, and he just wanted to settle down, have a family, and stuff like that. And Napsack had never, you know, Napsack had never really paid anybody's rent or done anything really cool that way. So uh, he's like, "Hey, I'm not going to do it after this." I'm like, "Okay," you know. I mean, he's my bro. I mean, we've been friends since we were, you know, 15. So it was like, like, okay, I got it. I'm, I guess, why don't we do, you know, uh, one tour for this record and then call it a day? So that's when we did the At The Drive-In tour for the last record, and that was that. So it was no hard feelings, and it was like kind of just like, eh, no biggie, you yeah. know. But we just kind of planned the last tour, and we did it, and that was that, you know. And then I was down in L.A., and I started, you know, so we started the next thing. So at least I did. And then when and you met is how how, how did you meet um, Pedro and you know for that first EP um, when you were you know was that kind of like all right I'm gonna we're this is me again I'm energized I'm gonna get out there and... yeah I, I mean at that point I was down here and then it was like oh wow and then I'm not like oh wow I was just like, oh let's hang out you know I was starting to hang out a little bit more and just being around and about in L A and I really liked it I thought it was really fun. Um, Pedro had been uh, roommates with this guy, Tony, Tony Keywell, who was like the big A&R guy at Sub Pop now. Um, but he used to work at Alias Records. So I'd met him, and then Tom Ackerman, who played in Sunday's Best with Pedro. I'd met Tom, you know, over the years. And so they had a practice space and all this stuff. So I started playing with those guys off and on, doing different stuff. And then... Uh, that's kind of it, you know. I don't know. How, it, it, and then just kind of, they were doing the Sunday's best thing, and then we came back from a tour, and like everyone, they kind of 
different guys didn't want to do it anymore and this and that. And so I'd had the jaw sound going and uh, was doing some recordings. It's kind of fuzzy on like yeah. <laughs> it went down. But I mean, well, uh, let's just let, let's just take a minute and say that there's fucking great songs on that EP. Um, What's wrong is everyone. Bitter strings, priceless. Those are. I mean, that's a great. <laughs> that's yeah, a I great agree. EP. Yeah, that, that, that EP's funny, and it's like, the, the funny thing about that EP is it's this weird sort of like, um, I didn't, like, I brought, I started, I, it's like I'm still yelling at it, but I'm yelling inside, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. It's just weird, like, I sing on that record in this really funny way, which, on the EP, which is, like, different than anything I've ever done, which is, like, this weird, like, I'm still, like, screaming, but I, I like, I'm screaming as if you had to scream indoors, I guess. It's really funny. But it's a super... I, that record, that EP has a certain uh, has a special place in my heart. You know what I mean? There, it, it really has a sense of time and 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 uh, just a lot of memories attached to that. And it came. It was just kind of an effortless, like just kind of came together in a really cool way. And Tom Tom Ackerman, um, he recorded. He played the drums on what three of the songs and recorded it. Um, recorded it. Um, for a senior project when he was doing a recording class here at Loyola Marymount. So, oh, that's hilarious. It's amazing. I, yeah, I've always... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Blair. No, I, I'm, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> I've always wondered about the, the cover art for that EP, sort of where where that came from, actually. Well, you know... Oh, I can't, I'm going to... This is... I'm going to draw... Uh, I think it actually... Part of that record cover, my, one of those photos got used on somebody else's record, I think, too, from what I heard. But... um. You know who actually took those photos was this guy named Paul Drake. And Paul Drake took a ton of photos. He he was the roadie or road manager or whatever for At The Drive-In when we went out with them. Interesting. And he took, um, Paul Drake, he took that photo off the first, uh, uh, I can't even remember the name of the record, but the, the first, the, the cover for the first Jimmy World record. Static. The big one. Yeah. That Static one. He prevails. Took those, yeah. Those, he took that picture, he took some Discord stuff, he did a bunch of stuff, he's a really talented guy. But, um, like, I knew him, and I, and I, you know, I just, like, he just gave me a big, big photo book to dig through, you know, and I did, and I picked those, so. Cool. And what were the, you know, obviously 2000, I mean, this, this EP was interesting, too. I had just moved to New York, you know, there was a lot of things kind of swirling, uh, my first job, it just, it felt like it had some really dissonant and sort of, I felt something, and I think at that time there was a lot of things brewing. Um, obviously, Static was out. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of things, um, and, and obviously Clarity was out. I think you know, Bleed was going to be con- just. It felt like there was like commercial bands sort of going on top of um, the bands that were sort of before them. And did you mm-hmm. see any changes on the road? Did you see sort of anything changing in like the money or you know, vans turned into buses, yeah. that kind of stuff? So I feel like that time you know, was a, such a, a a change. Yeah, right around that time that we went out, you know, it was so crazy. Like, you know, I didn't even realize how good we had it at the time. Uh, but we went out, you know, for like, I think almost like, almost like two months, and we opened for Death Cab for Cutie, and all we had was that EP. Hmm. <laughs> so we literally had, and then that's all we had. Period. Like, we'd just been a band for such a short period of time, and so. You know, we went out on this tour for like six songs. It's open for Death Cab. It was pretty awesome. Uh, That's and rad. it was like, yeah. And I can't remember. I mean, and the, you know, it wasn't. A Death Cab was just starting to get steam going, um, but it was awesome. I mean, 
but I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't really think, you know, I watched anyone, you know, get mega big, like right before my very eyes, like instantaneously kind of situation, you know? And, it, you know, th this band has never been, you know, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it feels like it's kind of a biggish band, but then sometimes it feels like it's a really tiny little little guy band. You know, it's funny how that works. Yeah. The, so anyway, uh, was there so there was just that 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 tour, um, and then mm -hmm. were you guys off to back to work, or you know, members were doing that other would be things. Like two thousand, yeah. and then we kind of then we, then we took a while. You know, it took us maybe another year or so to put together a year and a half to start, and then so that. Yeah, somewhere around like 2001-ish, 2-ish, you know, we were got in there and started wrapping up the first Kill em With Kindness record, so mm -hmm. right around there. So we, you know, it came out, what, in 03, so that means it was probably done in 02, got started like 01 and a half or something like that, somewhere, you know, right around that zone. And then with all the, like, Mojo, Universal, then it's Mojo Jive, like, what was that experience like? Were you just like, this sucks? Or um, or were you stoked at the beginning? You know, I don't I don't think I really thought that much about it. It was like, uh, you know, it always just felt like there was a swirl going around. So it's like, okay, cool. You know, this guy, Eric Jarvie, who had signed, um, he signed, he worked for Mojo. He signed us up, and then like a couple weeks later, I guess, Universal was like, no, we're, we're done, you know, with Mojo. Then Jive bought Mojo, and... Uh, they're like, well, we want some of your acts, but we don't want all of them. We'll think about this. Yes, knows, and we'll put Jealous out in the Navy pile. And then it was like, all right. And then we'd been making demos for the record. And then we met with A&R guy a few times. He came to a really terrible show we played. It just <laughs> didn't really... It's just like, we're like, don't come to the show, dude. I remember, I can remember vividly. I'm like, don't come to the show. I'm like, we're going to be horrible tonight. And this isn't the kind of show we would normally play. Just don't even bother, please. Sure enough, he shows up. I'm like, all right, this is stupid. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but anyway, so we were doing these demos and essentially what had happened was, you know, when you signed those contracts back in those days, um, you could get this thing put in, it would be like pay or play. So basically at a certain point, Jive had to say, you know, we're going to fulfill the obligations of this contract, give you guys X amount of money and a release date and all this kind of stuff, or we got to give you some cash and we, 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 we sever the relationship, you know? So they ended up giving us some loot, to, and uh, we put that towards making that that record. And then we just, like, we kind of messed around for a little bit trying to find somebody else to put it out. It didn't really work out. And we're like, hey, Paul, let's just put it back out through you again. Let's just do a deal like that. So that's what we did. Nice. And I'm really, I mean, did the A&R &R guy hear hope, hope for us at all? Was that <laughs> on the mixtape? Because if it, if it wasn't, I hope he doesn't have a job. I'm just kidding. No, no. Uh, you know what? What's funny is uh, somebody had told me something, and it was like, uh, I don't, no, that song hadn't been recorded yet. Okay. But, you know, I think something had happened, or, you know, I remember hearing some sort of, like, story about, like, that dude being in his office and somebody playing that record or song or something like that. It's like, this is what we should be signing or something like that. And it was like, he was like, yeah, we actually did, but we left. <laughs> that was like one of those kind of... But, uh... Can you keep? But, anyway, you... but, 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 but check it though. I mean, you know, that song wasn't like some mega hit though. So it's not like you know, it, whether or not you like the song or not, it doesn't mean that it was a good financial investment for Jive. You know what I mean? True, true. I mean, but the thing is, in emo world, it's still on everyone's mixtapes. I have to admit. All right. Well... 
<laughs> no, I'm just messing. I mean, can you can you talk about that song? I mean, when when you wrote it, if was there any um, when you think when like you finished it, where you were like, oh hell yeah. Yeah, you know? it's really. You know, I got um, that song was like an unfinished song that we started putting together, and then I remember like we were recording with Tim O'Hare, and uh, I remember I was like, I'm not totally finished with this, Tim. He's like, Yeah, you are. Let's go. I'm like, I'm not comfortable yet. You know, I, I'm like, I didn't have every, you know, all my, you know, eyes dotted and T's crossed yet, and he just kind of pushed me into the into singing it, you know, and it just like kind of there's a certain like. And this happens a little bit, you know, to certain degrees on every record I've probably ever done. But there's this sort of like, you know, great, you know what, you've had the time, it's time to, it's time to do it. So I just did it, you know, mm-hmm. and I had everything. And, if, you know, if there's a hot spot, you know, as I refer to it in the song where something isn't quite working, you just kind of work it out, you know. Sometimes it's just better to work it out behind the microphone, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of those songs. And I was thrilled, like, when it came out, it's like, you know, sometimes you just get lucky, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it just, I mean, I love the way that, that like everything comes in at once, the sound, it sounds really clean. It sounds really open. It sounds like an open room to me. Um, yeah. and so I think that's what yeah. kind of made it seem. It's a really nice clean. song. And then John, John, uh, John, uh, McGinnis are back. I uh, did backup vocals on that. His backup vocals are like just killer, you know, the crush. Mm-hmm. So it's just got these really nice, you know, there's something what's nice about that is it always just kind of it like it layers up on itself you know so it's like uh yeah it just came out great it was a really cool song um john did great backup vocals on it every everybody did everything they were supposed to do on that song so it was really cool and uh again it was one of those ones that we went into recording you know into starting of the record that was you know more or less a sketch when we started what i want to say too that record something that stands out to me so much are pedro's guitar parts to me are so so amazing. What was kind of the writing process between you guys? And, you know, at, at that point, um, you know, I'm looking back, you know, I can remember going over, you know, that was the first time that we'd sort of like, uh, like we figured out a rhythm on like how to do some stuff. So it was like, um, it really, you know, one of the things that I really loved about, especially the, of those songs, it was like, I, you know, I have a really, you know, the, like, you know, I play like a kid that came up in like hardcore, like, you know, whatever, like big, like big, you know, chunky, downstrokey, palm muty kind of stuff a lot, you know, um, and that can sound like kind of blockheaded if you, if, you know, just sounds thick and like not, you know, not, uh, how do I put it, you know, it's not real sleek, you know. But what was really nice is when I when I started playing with Pedro at that point, he would do this sort of languid stuff and like weave in and around all about it. You know what I mean? So it would create this new thing that was neither was neither nor. You know, it was like it wasn't that it wasn't noodly guitar, it wasn't big riffy guitar, but the two sort of came together and just kind of flowed together in this in this nice sort of partnership. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yeah, that totally, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I just think another song on the that I think worth mentioning is "Anxious Arms." Um, did you? Mm-hmm. And, and so you recorded it again for the full. Like, why was that from the EP? I don't know. I think we just were like, well, maybe we should do one of those songs off that EP. Maybe everyone hasn't heard them. That was mm-hmm. probably about as as a, as deep as it got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And the other thing I was going to, I think you guys did a, a video for the fold out, right? 
We sure did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The we got to upload a better version on YouTube. We got to we got to figure that out. Um, I, that that's All like right. my that, that's like my mission. We got to like. <laughs> when, when, I think there's a good version up there. I've seen it. I, I, I you know the versions I've seen, I thought were good. I don't know. I haven't really checked for very long. I'm gonna give Paul but, some uh, shit. No, no. It's just it's just funny when you see you know now the video super HD 720 mm-hmm. and you know yeah, you I look back you. and like <laughs> early 2000s yeah. and it looks like you know taped off a of VHS. Right, I got you. <laughs> but uh, no, that I, you know, I, I was pleased. With, like, uh, you know, every, you know, everything that's sort of not music related when you're in a band, it's really difficult. You kind of just have to trust people are going to do a good job with it. You know, whether it's artwork or, you know, how they represent you or doing that video. That video I was really pleased with. You know, uh, I thought it came out really cool. We did it like for, you know, I think we did it for like two grand or something like oh, that. That's awesome. Um. So I was really, I thought it could look cool. I just thought it was a good, like, you know, basic performance video with nice color and sort of just ba- a good basic aesthetic. So mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I liked it. What was the sort of reaction like? Because I sort of didn't get into the gel sound until later. I mean, when the record actually came out, what was the reception like? Was it, were a lot of people talking about it or did people kind of discover it down the road? That, you know, um, uh, I don't know. You know, it was an uphill battle. Let's put it that way. You know what I mean? It was certainly, um, you know, our distribution at that time was not the best. So it wasn't really getting out there. You know, there wasn't a huge budget to, like, promote the record. So all we could really do was sort of go on tour. And, uh, you know, and that's not anybody's fault. Or, you know, I'm not really throwing any blame around or whatever. It's just It just is what it is, you know. And at that point in time, there wasn't this big, you know, the internet wasn't kicking like it is now to like move things around, you know. Definitely, I think that's interesting because I think there's a perception now where all these bands are, you know, were huge back then, and if you were there, you were sort of like it wasn't so glamorous. No, I mean, you know, I think every generation, you know, even if it's a four-year difference, um, sort of thinks that you know, oh wow, that was like a, or there's this sort of idea that maybe it was the golden days about everything, and certain aspects certainly were, but. Um, you know, but not necessarily, you know. You still had to get in the van. Yeah, you've got to get, you got to get, you got to, and I'm getting in the van again. You know, yeah. it's not, <laughs> nothing's really changed, you know. Yeah. So, but it's, uh, it's, it, 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 you know, it's just part of my, part of my adult life has always been this, you know. Yeah, I wanted to get to the, the new record, but first I, I wanted to uh, talk about the, the Got Friends EP um, and mm-hmm. the thing with Militia Group. I mean, it just, it's it's almost as if there's like these little pockets of all right we got this record we go and then it's kind of silence and then here we, so is there just in between is it is it just a long process to put together those songs or you, there's other stuff going on it just you know there's like little pockets you know, look, of time you know with that action you know we had signed to do that militia group record we had every I I certainly had every intention of doing it you know that's what I wanted to do but for you know for a million different reasons you know, it was a failure, mm-hmm. uh, as far as bringing it, you know, bringing it to life. Um, and, you know, rather than everyone just, you know, blah, 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 and explain everything away, everyone just kind of kept quiet, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, we had started those songs and, you know, the songs for that, the Got Friends thing, we'd done like three songs and I didn't have the stamina to like finish it. And the band was not really, you know, the band, we'd done a bunch of touring, nothing had really changed and all this different stuff. And everyone was sort of out of gas. And then, 
you know, I had this idea that, or, you know, I was married and like, we're going to move to my wife, wanted, we we're going to move to Vegas and I was going to split my time between LA and there and da da da. And, you know, things didn't really work out the way I planned. And, um, so I just said, you know, it's like, I don't think I can do this. You know, mm-hmm. I was just, I just didn't feel like I could actually do it, you know, or do it the justice that I thought it should be done. So I said, okay, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so that's why. And then they just kind of sat on that EP and that was going to be the record, but that's all, you know, that's all we really had. You know, that's all we had far enough along to, to actually record at that point. So then how did the kind of remixes come about? Just you sort of need to fill some more space? Yeah, that was, I think that I wasn't even around when, you know, I was I was gone. I, hadn't, I wasn't even talking to anybody when that stuff was done. So that that really was completely out of my, <laughs> my I remember like I got an email or something from John when I was in Las Vegas. Like, hey, we're going to put this record out. I'm like, oh, my God. I hadn't like thought about it, you know, hadn't listened to it had no, I was completely uh, unplugged from everything regarding that, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess. It was just, it just, you know, it just, yeah, there's sort of this general concept, like, you know, I I I haven't really addressed, I I address it every now and again, but there's this concept that it's crazy, you know, or there's this sort of, like, strange sort of, like, I think some in the village voice said, you know, Blair went crazy and disappeared, and da da da. You know, it was just sort of. Uh, but it was. Yeah, I was trying to explain them, like, you know, it really wasn't crazy. You know, I'm older. You know, most. You know, most of bands reached mega success level or even like middle of the road success level. You know, um, you you have to like you know you have to take care of yourself or figure out what you're going to do in your life. You know, and being in a band. You know, if, if it's not if it's not moving things forward, can kind of hold things back, and and you know, as far as like a trajectory of of what you know people normally do in their lives. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's that expectation. You know, everyone's like, oh, you're in a band, you're gonna do this, this, and this. But sometimes other things take more precedent, um, and you need to have to you have to get your shit figured out before you can move forward with something that you love. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, and you know, my example is not exactly a perfect example of mm-hmm. like, oh my, you know, I didn't be, I didn't stop, you know, band, become a lawyer, and like whatever, you know, what I mean, I moved to Vegas and like whatever, but it's the same, but it's, but there's a sort of like, you know, I was like, I mean, the band was just felt sort of like out of gas to keep moving forward. I was just like, oh, you know, change just felt like change, something needed to change, you know, so it was like, um to people that really like the band, it's like, oh my gosh, how could you walk away from it? But it really wasn't, you know, people were ready to walk away from it, not just me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. And then I guess from, from that release, I mean, with, with 2009 and the Sunny Day Tour, um, mm-hmm. Jonah, are you eating something? What? No, no, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to throw something away. It sounded like you are opening up a Big Mac or something. <laughs> sorry, that's yeah, funny. Yeah, don't mind me. <laughs> Fine. That was really funny. <laughs> no, it's not a big deal. That was awesome. Well, yeah, what, yeah, what's going on, dude? What, what gives, dude? We're doing a podcast. I, so unprofessional. So unprofessional. Yeah, over here. Unbelievable. This guy. Um, with the Sunny Day tour in, in 2009, what was the, how you know, you guys were, was it just them? Was it Nate asking you, hey, come out with us for this? And well, I came it, back to town, and uh, we had toured with... Um, the fire theft, which was basically, you know, mm-hmm. a portion of Sunny Day Real Estate with them for a month or, you know, close to a month. So we had known Nate, and then I left, 
Pedro had become sort of better friends with Nate over that time while I was gone. So Nate was around, you know, when I came back, we started writing, and, you know, he was on a, a hiatus from Foo Fighters, and, uh, you know, I guess that he was working on getting Sunny Day back together for the, like, anniversary of Diary, and um, he was like, hey, we're going to get, you know, uh, Sunny Day back together. It's like, if you guys can pull it off, you guys should open that tour as well. And I was like, I think we can. And so we ended up being able to do it, and uh, we did it, and it was awesome. Like, you know, totally fun. Incredible tour. Yeah, those those shows. I mean, Joan and I were both at the Terminal Five show in New York City, and um, it get was... out of town. That was awesome. That tour is just great. It was just a really, it was, it was a really good experience. I really had a great time doing that. Yeah, those shows seem to be like the response from the fans. I think people were really respectful, and I think there were a ton of people when I, I saw that. A ton of people knew you guys and were stoked that you were on it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, it just it. You know, every city's a little bit different. You know, some was like wow, and some people were like it was like. Wow, nobody cares. You know, it was like it would it would go back and forth every night. You know, you, you know, for the most part, it was really great though. I had a really good time. Were there? Hey. Oh, sorry, Jonah, hit it. Uh, I was curious. I remember you played uh, "Here Comes a sort of at, at that show. I mean, had you already written some new stuff at that point? Yeah, that song we had written. Like we had like like the idea was like uh, the idea was like, hey, let's put together a record. And so we had started writing, and then uh, that was that one was like finished. And I remember we're like. I remember being at practice and like, um, so we'd like work through all the old songs and like, everyone's like, okay, that's cool. I'm like, dudes, we should play a new song. I'm like, it's going to be weird if we play all these old songs, you know? <laughs> and so I, I was like, let's try this song and just kind of clicked really quick. And like, we might've played it like four or five times and they're like, cool, let's play that. So, um, that's how that went down. That's awesome. I mean, I guess leading into the, you know, the new record coming on January mm-hmm. 31st, and um, it's great to have the new record. Um, um, I think there's some amazing songs on it. And um, where did you guys, did you guys record this at the Foo Fighters studio? Yeah, we did. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But do you guys have, I mean, from being able to do that, that's a great thing to have Nate open up the door for you to get that in. That's great. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was really, you know, um, there's a the head engineer there. This guy named uh, his name's Lou. Is John Lou Lusto? He's the guy there. But um, you know, we we hung out with him a few times, and um, he liked the band, and he wanted. He's like, hey, I'd love to do it. And so between Nate and then him wanting to do it, we were able to use that studio for you know fairly you know reasonable way of doing things. Um, so it was really great. Did the songs come together quickly? Was it, you know, from that tour? Or was it? I don't know if they would call it quickly. They came together. They, they never, you know, they don't usually come together quickly, but they they come together. So were all the songs before? Were there some done in the studio? Were there ones that you were like, you know? Oh, you know, there's always, you know, I, I'm always playing a little bit of catch up, like trying to figure out how to how to, you know, when they're done, I'm like, when when a record's done, I'm like, I'm toast. You know, I'm I'm it, it's taking everything out of me. You know. Um, so for the most part, I try to, you know, I try to get as much done as humanly possible, but there's, uh, you know, I, we would go, sometimes we'd be like three weeks on, then we'd have a week off because someone would come into the studio and then we would be back for a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would be like, I would do the ones I had done, then we'd record everything and then I would come home and I would finish up little bits or I'd sit and figure out what I wanted to do a little bit differently, go in and knock those songs out with the vocals. And it was just kind of this way. That's kind of how it would work out. Any favorites um, from the record that you 
love that you're going to stoke to play on this next uh, tour? What do I, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, you know, there's all, there's, it's a funny record, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of songs I love on that record. I mean, I kind of like them all. It's like, uh, one of my favorites is though. Change You. Yeah, that's a banger. It's a banger. <laughs> I, uh, sort of with Here Comes the Ride also, I mean, uh, to me, the arrangement on that song is very interesting because sort of when you were playing it live, it was more just kind of palm muted and then kind of... Sure, this... yeah. Well, we'd always sort of wanted it to be more that way, but um, obviously we don't have like an organ. And if you play something like that really slow, like the slower pace live kind of can takes a while and kind of drag things down. People want to go to the bathroom or get a drink, you know? Right. <laughs> so... That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, anything, I mean, at, with this record, is it this tour? What are, you know, how, how, how full time are you guys going to be as this thing rolls out? Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of yet to be seen. Um, you know, I have no other, you know, I have no other obligations about anything that I, I need or want to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's sort of where my head's at. So, yeah, there's nothing, I'm looking to do as much as, I, as humanly possible in the uh, foreseeable future as far as this record goes. And then who's who's torn with you guys? And Pedro isn't, correct? Um, yeah. Um, that's kind of, yeah. Because I was trying to remember from the, the, I think there was a show at the Echo and some stuff early on, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a friend, Michael Richardson, he's coming in and, uh, and uh, looks like he's going to be touring with us. And one of the guys from Benton Falls, right? That's him, yeah. Oh, that's him. There we go. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. We're going out on tour. and. <laughs> that's great. I mean, the and then, I mean, is there any stuff, any favorites from the scene that, um, that are bands that are kind of newer that you've heard that have sort of, oh, wow, they kind of get it, or they're kind of hearkening from, you know, when I was doing it, or are there not at all and you're listening to completely different stuff? Is there any bands in that room? I don't know. You know, I'm trying to think. Usually if that happens, I, I, it's not like, oh, hey, and usually I'm envious. I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. You know, they're killing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. You know, you know, here's the thing, though. There are tons of band, you know, the bands that I like, but uh, it really seems more and more rare that bands do what we do. I don't know... I have a really hard time figuring out like who does it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like who does it anymore? No. <laughs> Not that many bands. No, you're right. Can you can you guys think of some? No, that's why. I, no, I can't. I feel like that's why I have to keep listening to those two EPs and the record over and over. <laughs> right. Okay. No, they're really they're yeah. Really, you know, nobody really does like you know sort of like slightly heavier, dark, you know, you know, uh, desperate hooks and big, you know, that big kind of, you know what I'm talking about. Nobody really, I don't know who does that. Yeah. To me, it seems natural. It seems like a natural thing. I'm like, why wouldn't you do that? You know? Yeah. I I think every band should, there should be so many more bands that sound like Sam I am or something. Yeah. I just don't know. Like nobody really does. There's not a time. I mean, I guess Sam I am, you know they put out a great new record and get great good for them but i can't really think of anybody like new or like it, it seems like it's uh i don't know 
I just funny. think, I, yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's sometimes, I mean, there was a band from Canada that I really liked called Filmmaker that mm-hmm. had some similarities to you guys and mm-hmm. um, was the quiet soft, but it was it was still more like Quicksand or, mm-hmm. you know, f- um, uh, uh, what's the band from Sweden that's the Quicksand equivalent? Why am I forgetting? Um Fireside? Yeah, Fireside. Like, kind of it went that realm a little bit, but still got really sort of dark. Um, but no, mm-hmm. I, 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 it, there's not any, you know, it seems Uh-oh. like the hooks um, come more polished, I guess, when a band is doing, you know, something and doesn't go as dark. Yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know how to describe it, but that's sort of like, you know, they go really like candy pop or they go like super indie jangle or something. And like the the... The, you know, it having teeth or being a little bit tougher sounding without being like you know, mooky or machismo or something. You know, yeah, it doesn't really. There's not a lot of that existing out there, I guess. Yeah, and right. I, it's it's funny too. We just talk about all the bands coming back. I mean, 2012 seems like the year of the reunion. You know, Promise mm-hmm. Ring at the drive-in, Refused for God's sakes. Um, Love it. Right. Uh, why this year? I mean, what I always I, I thought about it and what made. I feel like, you know, those bands kind of all sort of, you know, hardcore bands played with emo bands and, you know, indie rock, and you all kind of play in the same sandbox. What made that scene, I, I, I'm asking, I mean, what made that scene resonate and it still influences bands and obviously people are still, still care about them and there's still people talking about them and I don't think, well, I mean, there's, it, there isn't like a huge ska resurgence, thank God. I mean, what made it resonate? To me, like, I, I like, like, let me think about, you know, it just felt, I think at that time, um, you know, when you, when you survey the landscape and you see the band, the kid, you know, the sort of younger kid bands or whatever, and they're very, they seem very similar. They seem like very, uh, they're very self-aware. They're very like, you know, oh, we're doing this because of this and we want, we want this and, you know, we want to be stars or whatever it may be. But it, I think that it, there was, um, you know, it, you're always like being in a rock band, you know, let's just, let's be real. I mean, you want to be in a popular rock band if you're in a rock band, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's not, let's not pretend we don't, you know what I mean? So, uh, but even at that point, I think it was sort of the last of this run of like, there was, uh, you know, uh, there was, it, there was original thought. There was, you know, it was, you know, if, if you were going to rip somebody off, it was the second, it was only, it was only the first rip round of rip-offs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the third and fourth and fifth round of rip-offs, you know? And it hadn't been, you know, it wasn't a copy that had been copied ten times, you know? Um, so it was that first, you know, sometimes, and usually the bands that are the first round of rip-offs are really good bands. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, you know no. I mean? I mean, I always feel like if, if 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 since there's no other band to sound like Jealous Sound, we haven't figured out someone should just rip you guys off and get really huge. Correct. That's the way it always works, though, because because the the band that rips off the the big band for the the, the first band is gonna is gonna fix all the little flaws and smooth those things out. You yeah, know what I, I mean? I always thought Boy Sets Fire should have been bigger, but so, I feel like people ripped them off and then kind of put the introspective. You know, start stop, um, and then they some other bands got bigger. Obviously, a lot of the Long Island bands um, kind of mm-hmm. came, but it it could have been just timing. You know, they yeah, that, you know, that's what they were listening to, and then that's what happened. 
it's just ma- there's magic dust that goes on all this stuff. You never know what's going it, to... I mean, it just is. There's no way to figure it out. If, you, yeah. if people could figure it out, they would, like how to be successful. There's no way to do it. Um, but I think in talking about that time period, I think it's just a, it was a night... It was a... It was a, you know... When I, you, you talk about like times that are like a little more electric about as far as like, oh, wow, these bands seem more vital, um, seem more original, or just seem like part of a cooler like scene or something... That was that kind of time frame, I guess, you know. So, Blair, were you a big Jawbreaker fan? Was I a big Jawbreaker fan? You know, I, that's an interesting question. They, you know, Jawbreaker and Sam I Am were like the heavies. Like, cause I, you know, I went to college in the, you know, near the Bay Area and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was. I mean, I thought they were, you know, they were a band that, you know, um, let me put you this way. <clears throat> I, I felt like I could do what those bands did. It wasn't like I would be... I have a hard time being a fan, especially people doing similar things to what I do, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I would be like... I would be like... I would see what they were doing. I'd be like, I want to be doing that kind of thing, you know? So, yes, I was a fan. But um, it, it was an immediate switch into me wanting to do do it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I wanted to do it my own way, you know, but like thinking back, like, you know, bands that I like, you know, I like, you know, Super Chunk or Seaweed or Sam I Am or Jawbreaker. Those were all bands that I'm like, that were speaking the language that I thought that I could successfully speak making music. No, that makes sense for sure. I was also curious, I mean, what was it like that kind of last, um, to jump back a little, that, that tour you guys did with At The Drive-In, I mean, could you feel, were you like, oh, this is just a band we're on tour with, or were you like, this is going to be a special thing? Um, with At The Drive-In, like, we showed up, I remember, and they were just going bananas, you know? I mean, they were they were rocking the house, just like, they were, you know, so full of energy, and just such a cool band. Um, I was like, oh boy, you know? And it just made, like, sitting there waiting for your turn to play, just like, oh boy, you know? we're going to seem so slow and lethargic and traditional, you know, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you're like, great. You don't want, I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to have to drive an opening for you. You know what I mean? You just, yeah. don't. it's going to make you look stupid. There's nothing you can do about it. You're going to look like a big square. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I could definitely tell that those kids were special, you know, you could, you could absolutely tell. And I think it's badass that they took you guys out as, I mean, you took them out when you were doing uh, Knapsack and then they took you out when you were doing Jellison. I think that's, that's like in it of self. So many bands don't get that. It's like, yeah, that was really, you know, those guys were, you know, I haven't talked to those guys in years. I ran into them a few years ago, you know, Omar and Cedric, but those guys were, you know, they, you know, you go on tour with people for like a month or so. You just, you know, unless people are like not cool people, you're going to become friends, you know? Yeah. So uh, it was really, you know, they were cool kids. And again, that like at the drive, you know, people love at the drive and, you know, and like it's, uh, they had, they had, they had an interesting fun, you know, if you're going to go see a rock show, that's a great rock band, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people bought uh, Coachella tickets. I think. uh... Yeah, it's over. You can't get a Coachella (laughs) ticket. Good luck. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) But you can't get them anymore. That thing sold out. Yeah. So crazy. And that's four nights of like, you know, I don't even know how, I mean, oh my God, that's so many people. That just goes to show, that just, that right there is the difference between now and when 
I was doing it back in the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That that many people will go to Coachella, which is like a hundred, you know, two weekends of like eighty thousand people or whatever it is. You know what I mean? That wouldn't have existed back then. You know. I I want to figure out what the bands do that whole week in between the shows. I actually thought about this. I think they're going to do press for at least I, a part of it because you know how it's always compacted in like one weekend where you need to you know do interviews and get all that stuff done I have a feeling what, because they have to no, either drive 250 do, miles right to play a show because there's a 250 mile radius where they can't play yeah I think they're gonna you know I think they're gonna get a, a, a cool Palm Springs hotel room and do a lot of drugs and drink fun <laughs> so there's gonna be issues <laughs> yeah people are gonna get screwy out there I mean it's like I think that's actually what's gonna happen to be honest with you. So fans. lots of arrests, lots of overdoses. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, you'd be even like, I mean, Palm Springs is a fun place. It's a, I mean, it's a cool, like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's fun hotels and, like, cool, coolio stuff there. So it's like, and that's right by there. So I, I would imagine, you know, who knows? I don't know, whatever. I'm just, I'm just, no, this is all, we're, we're all guessing. Jonah, did you, what do you think? Drugs, alcohol, press, what do you think they're doing? I thought everyone would, I thought a lot of people just go home and then come back for some ah, reason, maybe. Well, but I could be wrong. Well, I mean, well, what do you, you got to figure what it's like, it's not a week. It's only like five days. So let's, yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, Sunday's the boom. Then you go to Monday. If, and if you're a Coachella size band, it's like, there's probably some people you're going to go meet in LA or yeah. do whatever. That's and then all of a sudden it's what Wednesday. Um, then you're going to go, you know, after Joshua tree, take some mushrooms or whatever. Then it's Thursday. Um, you know, you go to the, you know, the vice party at the, at the, at the Ace Hotel. So now it's Friday morning, boom, time to get back into the action. I have an idea, Jonah, I have an idea. I think we should have a fake Twitter account for the dates in between Coachella. And we can just imagine stuff that we Yeah, like news reports from Coachella. (laughs) So that's my, that's my thought. I think people, I think people, I think bands will figure out uh, a way to fill that, those five days pretty nicely. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think I think that's a good that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Blair, do you think uh, you guys will ever uh, you'll ever do knapsack songs again live? Any reunion talks in that world? I don't think you know. I would you know. I I, I there's no reason I, I I don't really know a reason why like why I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really I don't I don't really give it a much thought. I wouldn't be like. You know, oh my God, don't do it. You know, I'm not one of those guys, but I don't also have this like. It would be strange, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And since um, I'm still playing in a viable band, it doesn't feel I don't have this like need to do it. There's also not some big paycheck that would be involved that would be a big impetus, which usually it is for most bands getting back together yeah. to play old songs. You know, mm-hmm. so and we're not going to write new songs, so it would be you know. The the trip down memory lane for me wouldn't would be really uh, wouldn't feel like much of a trip, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it would probably like bringing other people back into it probably would, but not for me. Yeah. I was honestly a little curious about the end of the period before you guys started playing when you were when you were in Vegas. I mean, what were you, mm-hmm. were you still playing music or what were you kind of? Oh no, not at all. What, what were you doing out there? Just working? What What wasn't I doing? Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, uh, that was a strange time in my life. Let's just can we let's just leave it at that. It's just kind of an oddball, weird. Like what what's going on? You know, I lived in you know I lived in like uh, I worked 
I lived in a really nice house with a pool and like a hot tub. You know, I made a good salary. Um, worked hard, played hard, just kind of just this weird time in my life. So gotcha. uh, it was like a long Vegas vacation, you know, and this kind of surreal, like, it was just crazy. It was just not nutty, just totally nutty. And one of the nuttiest things I'd ever done, you know. Gotcha. That's, yeah, that's great. So, <laughs> it kind of was. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of awesome and kind of insane and kind of like not awesome at all. And, but like, you know, it was just a strange, strange time in my life. Yeah. No, I think everyone needs, needs that at some point. But I mean, I, I you know, like my, like my really good friend, Julie, who lives in New York, she was, she, she, uh, she was a roommate with my, my wife and myself at that time. And we talk about it, like, we'll talk about it, like, that was so crazy, like, you know. And she's like, you know, because you kind of, like, she unplugged from, like, whatever her world as well. And we were just kind of, like, felt like the pioneers and, like, doing this weird, like, has anyone ever done this? Before? I don't think so. This is crazy. Like, you know, like, it was just strange. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was, it was, that was, but I didn't play any music, no. I was, I just kind of just didn't, you know, a lot of, like, barbecuing and, hanging out at my pool, listening to Fleetwood Mac, you know, that kind of was more the style I was rolling. All right. We have a mental picture. <laughs> yeah, I awesome. can. I... Yeah, so I mean, like, picture me, like, by my pool, like uh, a blender, whizzing margaritas, a, a barbecue. <laughs> uh, we have this house, like, up on the hill, and you could literally, like, right out of our back, like, our, our back window and, like, at our pool, you could see the whole strip, like, below us. It was awesome. Man, I can't wait to read this chapter of the memoir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you exactly. when, yeah, let's let, yeah, let's let's get a book going here. I think this is good I stuff. Should. I know. <laughs> I know, dude. So that's be... Well, I just I'm excited for the new record. Um Jonah and I Jonah and I have both uh I don't think stopped listening to it since um we were able cool. to listen to it. Um really stoked for the show tour. Um and um you know, thanks for doing this and you know, if best of luck to you uh, hey thanks guys forward. yeah i mean seriously guys thanks for doing this with me i mean this is silly business you know just like <laughs> i never you know i've never done something like i'm just like oh you know and i'm kind of off the cuff so it's kind of funny but uh well that's what this uh, is i mean that's why i thought this was makes sense just because they're actually you know there hasn't been a a, a voice I think for a lot of you know it's kind of just you heard about it you read it you have the records but to hear kind of the intermixed of how mm-hmm. things happen and people's thoughts that's what people are really gravitating to so I think I think uh, people no, yeah it's a really great idea you know you want to know like uh, like what everybody like, like you know getting from point A to point B is like there's a lot of twists and turns that happen along that route you know so you know it's not it's not as easy or it's not as simple as people think it is and how it all worked out you know so yeah. it's awesome but I but thanks for thinking of me guys it's awesome it's a lot of fun there is hope for us there is distance between you and I we have just
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1 so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.